This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Um, not much has happened. We're actually staying on top of stuff, so we don't have to give you giant chunks of things at a time, which is nice. Um, I'm just settling into L.A. more, and uh, there's two film festivals going on that I'm covering at the same time right now, so Fantasia and... Fright Fest are both uh, the end of August, so I've started to cover those. And then I'll self-plug, by the time you hear this, the first issue of We Are Horror, which is a new online magazine I'm putting out alongside um, a number of other people and writers, will be out, will have come out Friday. So um, you can donate to the Patreon to get access to that, uh, which you can find at patreon.com slash wearehorror. Um, that's my life update stuff at least. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's exciting. Uh, we hit hundred. I mean, earlier today when I checked, it was really nice because as a horror fan, obviously to manage to check when you just happen to be getting $666, I was like, yes. So I took a screenshot of that. <laughs> Cause I was like, yeah. Uh, but we're up to over 700, um, now. So it's by monthly. 156 patrons. You have 703 per month. Yep, um, which is, I mean, it just blows away every expectation that I had. Um, when Tyler and I bounced around the idea of starting it, we were like, if we can get 200 patrons, or I mean um, $200 for every two months, like 250 was our main goal to get $500 because we're like, we can pay all of our writers 50 bucks, which would be like a good going wage in the industry. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with like freelance, I, I know at a higher level, it's more high paying. I know Fing, Fangoria was probably more like round one, depending on the writer and the article, like anywhere between 100 and 200 an article. Um, and maybe if it went to print even more. Um, and I know like Variety and stuff can obviously pay more. But for most, like even like Bloody Disgusting, which is probably the highest paying horror website, you're looking at like 50 bucks, 35 to 50 bucks um, an article. Um, and then if you're looking at other places, 
you're looking at nothing, <laughs> like nothing to 20 maybe. So we were trying to come up with like a somewhat reason reasonable wage. And that was our goal. We're like, okay, 10 articles is like pretty good for a zine. So if we can pay everyone 50 bucks and like, you know, we committed to putting in $500 from our own pockets um, for the first issue. And we're like, okay. And if, if we can recoup, that'd be great. Um, so the, the fact that we're like at $1,400 an issue is mind-blowing um and it's just really exciting because it means we get the upper wage for our writers for the next issue and we can hire designers and um it just give more people money which is nice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah support more people in the community who are you know providing really great resources and really great have a lot of amazing things to say and unfortunately it's really hard on freelancers right now Yep. especially freelancers in um, the film industry because nothing's coming out. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, we got lucky that, you know, movies take so long to come out that there are a lot of movies that have been able to finish up their post. So we've kind of have, but we are headed or we're, we're dangerously close to that area of like, uh, nothing's now nothing's done because mm -hmm. you know, like production was done on it. You know, cause like you think about posts usually takes like a couple months to wrap. And so if anything was done filming, um, they've, even though, po and like, because of all this post has been harder, so it's taken longer to put out. Um, but yeah, so I think we're very, very close to hitting that gap where there's not going to be like, it's going to be a dry spell for a minute, at least for movies, TV has still found a workaround at least. Um, not like good necessarily quote unquote good television, but like, new television is still happening. They found a lot of ways to like do things from home and stuff. So mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's strange times for content for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's it for my life updates. B, do you have any life updates? Yeah. Um, I, with my design firm, we are currently working on the Nevada city film festival, which we worked on last year, which was super awesome. And like the first yeah, the first film festival, like legit festival that I've ever attended. And it was so amazing. Such a cool experience. Um, it really is unique up there. Um, it's a already like it's a gorgeous place like up in the like Sierra Foothills. And it's, you know, a tourist town already, but it's such a nice place like it's just your typical little like small town walk the streets and when the festival's happening it truly is like the whole town was like a buzz there was like every bar was popping all the coffee shops you just walk down the streets and there's different events going on for the festival the week of um just a really cool experience and they are one of the few festivals that have decided to go online this year as opposed to not and, and as opposed to postponing um they feel really fortunate to do that uh and we feel super lucky that we get to work with them again this year and i'm really excited about it and i'm hoping we get like more people to uh partake and get to enjoy it because not everybody gets to go physically and experience this like awesome little mountain town and this festival that, you know, garners a lot of attention. Uh, but that's with anything, if it's with any festivals, it's a lot of work to get to them. Um, and if you don't live locally, uh, you know, it's, 
like a vacation and experience or like a work trip. And that's not really happening this year. So it's going all digital. Um, and so there's, I mean, I have tons of information on my Twitter on it, but it's the Nevada city film festival. It's only $35. Um, so normally to, to attend the festival, it's like a hundred plus dollars and they like slash their prices, um, because they want people to be able to watch these films massive lineup this year. There's 13 different programs. There's like 12 different features. Uh, they are known for their shorts. Um, and which I think anybody who loves film and it knows about the industry knows how important shorts are, um, to filmmakers. Uh, so it's a really special festival. I feel really lucky to be a part of it. Um, so that is happening the end of August. Uh, and so it, we're like getting high gear into all of that stuff. So yeah, it goes on um, starting on the uh, 24th and goes through that last week of August uh, through September. So that is going to be fun. I'm super excited. I'm super excited to start to get to watch some of the films in there. Um and uh, work on that. So that's like what I've been busy with, like just pouring any time into their entire social media. Uh, we do everything, their Instagram, their Facebook, their their Twitter, um, which is super fun and, and different from the day-to-day design stuff we really do. We get to do a little bit more. So we like that a lot. Um, but that has definitely left like little time. <laughs> do anything else I'm basically just like working and working and then like popping in with my family and that's about it um I did listen to um this audiobook called Sadie um by Courtney Summers which was uh re- recommended by our friend Becca uh, I, she's super into books, insanely knowledgeable. I'm like, help. I need, I just need some stuff to power through. Um, and she knows I love audiobooks. And this is like, if you're into audiobooks, this is a must read. Um, I don't know how great it would have been just reading it. Uh, has like over 30 narrators. It is like a full cast production. Every single person in the book is narrated by, or it's spoken by somebody. Um, and so it's a mystery about a girl named Sadie and her sister who has, um, been, uh, killed and then she goes missing. So it's from her perspective of trying to figure out like what happened to her sister And then it's also from the perspective of a like true crime podcast who picks up the story of Sadie. And so you're hearing in different timelines from two different perspectives, from like a journalistic standpoint of this podcast and then from Sadie herself. Um, Super interesting way to tell a story. Um, If you like mysteries, it's definitely something worth listening to. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, as somebody who has a podcast, it's very cool to sort of hear an, a, it, at times it felt like I was listening to a podcast and it definitely was very immersive where you kind of forgot that you're reading a book and not just really like hearing the account of like a true life story, um, which, which was awesome. So definitely like highly recommend that. 
um, which was Sadie uh, by Courtney Summers. And then as far as watching anything, I mean, I think I watched a couple of things. I can't really remember. I think just all repeats. But I did check out the new Netflix movie um, called Work It. Me too. Um, yeah, which I really liked. Uh, it has Sabrina Carpenter in it, which if anybody's familiar, she's like of Disney fame. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, and it was directed by Laura Teruso and I, I mean, I, I'm 28. <laughs> um, how to think about that for a second. So when like I was like a preteen and like my formative years, that's like when Honey and Step Up and like all those dance movies were freaking huge and massive. Yeah, Save Last Night. Like literally dance movies were just like a part and even like Cheer, like Bring It On, like all that stuff was super, super popular in that time. And so I loved it. And so this felt very much like just a really fun, sweet, modern like dance movie um very much felt like something i would have watched like when i was a kid and like loved um yeah i thought it was super cute i really liked it yeah i agree it was um i have had time to watch movies but um unfortunately they've all been festival movies um with embargo so i can't really talk about any of them yet um and the way the festivals work too i'm very fortunate to be able to partake in them but also it means like you're just cramming as many movies as you can in at once while you can because they're like hey you have you know x amount of days to watch this many movies mm-hmm. and so it's like oh shit okay um but i did you know as much of a horror fan as i am i love movies overall and like every once in a while i'm like okay my brain needs a break mm-hmm. uh, yeah and i literally went on a netflix just to be like okay i'm just gonna find something to put on and it was the day work it came out so i was like yep that works and i was like super like super cute like looks like just like a little perfect rom-com and like you said i liked all those dance movies too like growing up so i was like yeah i can get into this um and i recognized serena carpenter because i actually watched girl meets world because i was a huge boy meets world fan um and then yeah like b said it was um it was just like really fun and like 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 the two leads had great chemistry and um it's all like it's a female director and a female writer which is super cool um very diverse cast which was also really cool um and it was just like a easy like cutesy fun little movie Mm -hmm. um yeah it's if you look it up on imdb it's really (laughs) i was trying to find the name of the lead guy and like the the or like on imdb's listing for some reason sabrina carpenter literally has bottom billing um and, and then the main guy has no billing so i'm pretty but, sure it's the guy from to all the boys Dr- i love before it, too it, it is when i looked it up i know John ambrose yeah yeah that's his name and that i was just trying to remember his real oh. name but um yeah so if you liked the sequel which i did oh, yeah. um it's john ambrose who yeah. i also really liked and he is like if yeah uber charming in this i feel like if he if his character into all the boys was like he was in work it everybody would have been like a lot more torn about oh, that uh, yeah especially relationship he, dilemma jordan fisher that's his name yes jordan um, fisher he's great oh and i like also, definitely left work it being like all right this kid's like cute i like this guy yeah and i was like um this dude can dance like he's like a legit actually good dancer um so that was also cool 
Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've watched other than like a bunch of festival stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I just looked at my letterbox, which I miraculously did update this week and, um, we'll just have a repeat and I'll say brown brain. I watched Wishmaster for the first time. Oh yeah. I yeah, yeah, about yeah. That. yeah, that's true. So I was working late and decided to put on a movie and I was in the mood for something that I have already seen. And like, not that I've already seen, but something I knew was going to be comfortable like I've already seen. Um, and I just couldn't find any, like any specific, basically I wanted an aughts horror film, which I've seen them all. It doesn't exist. So I was like, oh, like Wishmaster, I've never seen that 97. I think in my mind, I got it confused with Phantasm and thought that it's because the movie started. I was like, whoa, this is not what I was expecting at all. Um, I really liked it. Um, It's yeah, it is. I mean, for those who don't know, 97, um, Robert Kurtzman directed it, which I did not realize until afterwards. Um, and if you're not familiar with Kurtzman, he's like an uber famous, um, like effects guy and makeup. Um, and that's with the gin in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really what he's known for. And so as soon as I saw that, I don't think he's really think he's directed much besides this, like a couple things you can really tell, like it, it all clicks because everything looks so good. And there's a lot of especially in the finale, there's like a lot of kind of like monster type stuff that happens and it's all gorgeous. Um, But yeah, it was just super fun. It's got a a massive amount of horror cameos Um, like, you know, Robert England's in it, Kane Hodder's in it. Um, It's just, it's just super fun and it's on prime. If, um, Nobody's seen it yet. Tony Todd's in it. Um, Ted Raimi has an appearance. Like, I mean, I'm just saying it's just so good. Um, So definitely if you're in the mood for something that you've sort of passed on. Because I asked you on Twitter. I was too young at the time to, like, know what the – No, you text me, which I was – I was because I was at work and it was just so funny because it was, like, 8 p.m. and you're just, like – Wishmaster, you seen it? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and that was like it. And I'm like, why? And you're like, I'm gonna watch it. And I was like, oh shit, okay. Yeah. Especially at 8 p.m. I was like, you don't watch movies at 8 p.m. <laughs> I do not. I watched this and like three other things afterwards because I was up late working. Um, but yeah, I like asked, I was like, so what's what was like the buzz around this movie? Because I feel like it's one that I know exists, but it doesn't have you know, the same type of th- like other nineties movies like Candyman or, you know, all the sequels of the era or the screams and stuff like that. So I'm like, were people talking about this movie? It seems like the consensus from the people I heard from was like, it's one of those things that just got talked about. Cause there were at the time, those guys were huge. Like, I mean, it was Freddy Krueger and it was Jason Voorhees and it was Candyman all in a movie together. So like there was talk because of that but it didn't sort of have any lasting effect at the in the time kind of got forgotten which yeah i definitely think it's worth worth visiting if you have never never done so oh yeah um, it feels very 90s and i think part of the reason it, it got does. yeah like but i think that's part of the reason it gets lost in the shuffle or it did get lost in the shuffle it came out yeah. after scream so like yeah. it 
it doesn't feel as contemporary as that. And so horror was yeah. already moving in a more contemporary way where Wishfester feels like it was made like 94. Um, yeah, it feels very early 90s. Yeah. And it's, it's you you turn it on, you're like, oh, okay, this is a 90s movie for sure. It's very set in the, in the time. And it feels like looks wise, even has sort of like a child's play look, like the later child's play and the Candyman sort of that very, you know, gray but bright cinematography style um yeah it's very it fits in in with the time for sure mm-hmm. um and then i checked out like a couple like thrillers afterwards that got recommended i watched the resident oh right yeah. with, um oh my god that was quite the experience um <laughs> yeah jeffrey dean morgan and hillary swank and lee pace love the cast it's it was good i liked it i did um came out in 2011 and yeah, it's just about this woman who's separated from her husband because he cheated on her. She is a resident um, at a hospital, super busy life. That's why like her husband claims he cheated because she works too much. Lovely excuse. Um, and she ends up moving into this like gorgeous apartment in this like old building that very, very hot Jeffrey Dean Morgan's fixing up and gives her this incredible price to live there. And you find out why. And holy moly, it get it's very erotic. Yep. <laughs> um, very erotic. I was like, oh my goodness. All right. I'm so glad I'm watching this alone and like not with my mother or something. Cause I would, that would happen. I'd just randomly pick a movie and it'd just be hella sexy. And I'd be sitting next to my mom and be like, oh my God, this is so uncomfortable. Or even my husband, who was like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, my God, it's just – it's a thriller. It's fine. He's like, why do they always have sex? I'm like, I don't know. It's thrilling. Yeah, it's thrilling. Um, so that was the thing. I also discovered from that that uh, via all the letterbox reviews oh that song <laughs> troll on, like, torrent sites um, labeled this movie A Sample Man, which is a great movie really good movie far superior um and people ended up watching this movie thinking it was or because they were literally quote unquote too lazy to find another movie to download oh just brought my like anti-piracy heart so much joy to feel like people wanted to watch a simple man and they got stuck watching this erotic thriller just so funny i love that um yeah so good it's ridiculous uh, I did also watch, I forgot I started um, Doom Patrol um, because I've been watching Umbrella Academy with actually with our friend Becca and um, it made me like we're watching it an episode at a time and I was like, okay, I want something I can binge. And so Doom Patrol is also about like a dysfunctional found family and superheroics based on the DC comic. Um, and then Gerard Way has adapted it recently. So it's actually based on kind of a mix of the comics from the 80s written by Grant Morrison and then Gerard Way's adaptation from current day. Um, you would love the cast. Uh, Matt Bomer, uh, Brendan, mm-hmm. Brendan Frazier, um, Timothy Dalton. Uh, so really, really good cast. And I've, I really like that so far. It was um, originally on DC Universe, but it's gone to HBO actually picked it up. So it's on HBO Max now. Does DC Universe still exist? After everything that happened at Warner Brothers yesterday, I have no idea. Um, I don't know. Oh, I didn't see any of that. Ooh, um, massive, massive layoffs with DC Comics. Like, 
because DC is owned by Warner Brothers and like I mean, uh, Warner Media lays off at least 600 employees at HBO and Warner Brothers. Yeah, I know for sure, like, four of the highest... I mean, Bob Harris, who's been the editor-in-chief at DC for a while, I know he was let go. Um, and I know, like, three other big-time editors were let go. And then Jim Lee, who is, like... Jim Lee is, like, a comic book legend, um, and he's been in-house with DC for a while now. He was demoted. Um, so it was a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I don't know if DC is going to, um, the, the word is Warner brothers has been trying to sell DC for a while. Uh, mm. so we'll see what happens. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Disney will just buy them too. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, some, I bet money like Netflix or Apple ends up buying them or something like that. Yeah. Some, somebody who's doing fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check out Doom Patrol. It's two seasons in and it's, um, if you like Umbrella Is it Academy, canceled? Yeah. Um, it's actually very critically acclaimed and it's done better since it moved to HBO. So I don't oh, think okay. it's going to be canceled. Um, and, um, if you like Umbrella Academy, it's like Umbrella Academy, but weirder. Um, so it's, I definitely think it's worth checking out. Um, but yeah, that, so I got through season one, so I'm on season two of that. And then I'm watching TV. I'm so proud of you. I know. And I'm two episodes away from finishing Umbrella Academy. So, yep. Wow. I know. I know. That's impressive. I, I've been sneaking episodes in, in between the movies. I, I knew, I knew you'd be proud of me. I was like, I'm actually I watching television. Yeah. Makes my heart happy. Oh, and, and look at me. I watch movies. What the heck? I know. We're trading spots. Um, and Hannibal's the other one I've been watching. I'm on season two of Hannibal, which, um, who you weren't wrong. Oh, that show is yeah. like, that's an episode of a, a day for me. Like it, yeah, it I kind of maxed three, out. I think I did three or four. I think maybe I got to four and I was like, oh, no, it's I can't. Heavy. That it's heavy. so it's, heavy and the body horror is a lot. It's beautiful though. Like it's, the set design, the awesome design. Oh, I love it. It's fantastic. I think it's wonderful, but it's. I, I can watch like maybe two episodes in a day and I'm like, I need to give my brain a break here. Yeah, I I'm not I'm not in a mental headspace that I can watch that. You'll get there one day. All. One episode. Yeah. One episode a week, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll forget everything that happened and be like, fuck. I'll just I'll just watch the first episode over and over again. There's that's why there's recaps. Um it will be like Is you were there? watching it when it aired. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to our movie, which is also, um, kind of savage, but in a different way. So our movie, B and I were discussing, we really wanted, we've been talking about doing Texas forever. Um, every summer, I mean, this is our third summer, right? Yeah. Um, yeah we're like, yeah, we should do Texas. Because it feels like summer. This is such a like hot, sweaty movie. Like it's one of the only movies I can actually think of where you just, you can feel the heat in it. Um, well, that helps that so much of it takes place during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we finally were like, let's just bite the bullet and do it. Um, so we are tackling the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. For those of you who don't know, our plot synopsis is two siblings and three of their friends en route to visit their grandfather's grave in Texas end up falling victim to a fan family of cannibalistic psychopaths and must survive the terrors of Leatherface and his family. Uh, released in uh, on October 11th, 1974. Yep. So one of the older movies. It's definitely a proto-slasher. 
It is for sure. And we'll break that down a little bit. I have some dates in there, but um, yeah, this is, this is early. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, low budget. I mean, and you, obviously you can tell by watching it. I mean, there's no exact number, but like the online guesstimates are 80 to 140,000 um, with the complete opposite in box office, which is 30.9 million. Um, it was big. Mm-hmm. Massive. Instantly. Yeah. It's still like for ratio wise, still one of the most successful like independent movies ever made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's very similar in vain to like the same thing that happened with Halloween mm-hmm. and um, Friday the 13th. Literally all of our, our famous slasher icons, they, those first movies were made on pennies and blew the fuck up. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, I will credit a lot of that. I know, you know, um, there, sometimes we don't dive too much into like hypotheticals and stuff. Um, but like, this is not a hypothetical, like, I think a lot of that was a reaction. So this is, this movie was made as a large reaction to the Vietnam war. Um, and you know, Hoover made it like, even the beginning he says or because it starts with the film you are about to see is true um he says he straight up says that was in response to being lied to by the government about things that were going on all over the world including watergate the 1973 oil crisis and the massacres and atrocities in the vietnam war um and then he the reason that this like he was so violent especially for the era in this movie was the and again quoting him was the lack of sentimentality and brutality of things that he had noticed while watching the news. Um, he was saying, you know, like, because they aired a bunch of the Vietnam War on the news. This was very, very much in response to the Vietnam War and very, like, lots of it was inspired by it. And I think that is another reason that it part of its box office success is due to that, be because people were looking for something to like you know that it's proven that when we are going through hard times in the world um box office goes up because people are looking to escape from reality or to find you know um find comparison in a fantasy world and that's very much what like this is is people were able to see it's that whole idea of like these are the atrocities we're seeing in the real world but in this case we know it's a movie you know mm-hmm. yeah so but yeah just buku bucks and it shot toby hooper into the stratosphere as far as directors go yeah and you know people i think a lot of people just didn't know what what to take of it i mean they i mean even people like you know roger ebert who's like not a horror fan like they're like it's so violent but the it's so light and gore besides the blood that's actually on Sally throughout the movie, mm-hmm. there's next to zero gore in this movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people responded weirdly to that in the fact that they then respected it more. People always like equate gore to being bad. And so in this, like, if you look at, like, a lot of the reviews, people are like, well, I mean, it's really well filmed and it's really brutal, but, like, it's despicable. But, um, you know, it is it is well, well shot and well acted, mm-hmm. you know, like, they can't, 
they still can't get over the fact that there's sub there's a movie like putting the subject matter in your face but without those like elements of gore they they're more accepting of it right which i and find it, really interesting which is funny too because like numerous of these reviews like john mccarty of cinefantastique stated the house feature in the film made the base motel or, or no sorry i meant to i mean he said the base motel looked positively pleasant by comparison but the variety one variety found the picture being well made despite what it called heavy doses of gore and like when i read stuff like that i'm like what movie did you watch and like maybe in comparison to the movies of the era but it's like you said like like when I say like blood so technically, yes, like there's a lot of dry blood everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But like the amount of bloodletting happening is always like just off camera. Um, so like there's, uh, you know, like the like one of the bloodiest scenes is is probably like where the hitchhiker cuts his hand open um, and then mm-hmm. like wipes it all over the van because like realistically violence and and like brutality is implied a lot and then we do see after effects a lot like i think that's for the era especially it was like we see lots of dead bodies right and so when you and i think of gore i think we think of something like um like modern day like i always think my go-to example is over like always like evil dead 2013 right um like remake it's like literally braining blood yeah and i'm like yeah that's gore but so when i look back at like texas i'm like that's not gory um and it's weird like do i like i have to try to put myself in in their shoes and be like was that gory for the era because you know like maybe it was um and you think of even like the early slashers that are like very light on on gore um you know like halloween which was still considered a violent movie is not a gory movie mm-hmm. um, but yeah yeah i think maybe our, our <clears throat> definition of gore has changed because is it gory to have you know like a body hanging on a meat hook and like bones and feathers of you know like maybe that's more what the definition was you know we haven't had our Friday the 13th, we haven't had our Evil Dead yet, you know, we haven't had this really embrace of, no, we're gonna, when we cut somebody, we're gonna have the blood pour out. We haven't had, like, the slashes of, you know, 80s, where we haven't had the blood rages, where there's freaking blood squirting everywhere. Yep. Yeah, so it's it's different. Yeah, so when I read Yeah. It's also one of those things where I sometimes, you know, you and I have that question a lot of like, did you watch the movie? <laughs> like, right. Because a lot of, you know, horror was kind of reviled back then. So it's like sometimes I feel like people watched half a movie and we're like, I know what's going on here. Um, yeah. I do love how much they credit Marilyn Burns, though, for like numerous oh. of them, like her performance. Yeah, which we will get into because what a performance that is. Yeah. So like Linda Gross of the Times said it was a despicable film. Um said that Hinkle and Hooper, who wrote the film, um, were more concerned with creating a realistic atmosphere than with its plastic script. But I think I don't disagree with that. I don't think that's a bad thing. They were very concerned with creating a realistic atmosphere. That's what makes it so fucking scary. Yeah, no, the script Because it feels so real. The script's not... I don't like it. I think the... bad. The beginning of the movie is really boring. Also, it's not like, good. Yeah, like, I mean, the beginning of the movie, the whole hitchhiker thing is, like, off-putting and unnerving. So that part is, like, interesting. But then, like, all the part where they get to the house and 
everything with like Franklin and the and like the kids and everything. I'm like this uh, like there's it's not character development because we don't care about our characters. No. But we're spending a ton of time with them. We're not learning about Leatherface or at this point like I don't think we even learn their names with the the Sawyers whatever. Sawyers. I don't yeah. think we know that they're the Sawyers. No. Yeah. Um so like, you know, like I agree with you. The script is you're 100% right. Like they cared about atmosphere because the script is 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 a conduit to tell the story for what's like right. about to happen it's a conduit for the violence and for the savagery for the violence and the ideas they mm-hmm. weren't so concerned with you know the dialogue to get you to that idea you know i i mean at least it didn't feel that way um so it, that's it's funny how like that's a negative review but i agree with it for a positive reason yeah um Ebert also said that as violent and gruesome and blood-soaked as the title promises, which I'm like, oh, it's okay, um, praised the acting and technical execution, 100% agree. Um, And these are all at-the-time reviews because obviously there's one million people who have wrote about the Texas Chainsaw since then. These are all like during the time it came out. Um, Donald B. Bergen of the Cincinnati Inquirer praised the lead performance of Marilyn Burns, saying that she deserves a special Academy Award for one of the most sustained and believable acting achievements in movie history. But why a special one? Isn't that what the Academy Award for Best Actor is, being incredibly believable? When did Best Actress become an award at the Oscars? Was that not a thing in 74? I have no idea. I'm, um... I'm wondering, and then I'm also. I would say, or are they just saying because it's because it's a horror performance? And you I wouldn't give her money. It's because it's horror. Like yeah. that would be my big guess. Is it, yeah, because no, the actress has been there since the beginning of the yeah. Oscars. So yeah, it's because it's a horror movie. It's because yeah, it would like, never wow, be considered for anything else. One of the most sustained and believable acting achievements in movie history. But I think they need a special Academy Award, not Best Actress. Like, what the fuck is wrong with people? Yo, fuck the Academy. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Um, and then the, another review uh, that I definitely think it I agree with is, you know, Patrick Taggart of the Austin American Statesman hailed it as the most important horror film since Romero's Night of the Living Dead in 68. And I mean, yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this movie would go on to shape every single movie we've already talked about on this podcast. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, it's and, one of those movies that it, its impact has lasted decade upon decade upon decade. Um, yeah. And I could probably ask, not probably, I guarantee, I could ask my nine-year-old nephew who you know just watched Jaws for the first time this. I watched, I showed him Jaws this February, you know, doesn't have any exposure to horror films. We're starting him can tell you who Leatherface is. Oh yeah. I mean, a nine year old in 2020. Yeah. He's, I mean, it's, he's definitely not, he's not, he doesn't have the same cultural impact as Freddy Krueger and Jason, but like people still know who he is. He's recognizable. And the movie has impacted in a way that is, I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, um, you know, uh, like you said, that in a way that thousands of writers have written about this movie because of yeah. its impact on the world. So, yeah, reception, I mean, 
mixed, but looking back on those mixed reviews, even the ones that are negative, as as time has gone by, like you don't really recognize those as negatives because we don't we don't perceive gore and violence the same way that we did in 1974. Mm-hmm. Um, so this poster uh, is so 70s. It's ridiculously 70s. So it's funny because I pulled it up and I was like, all right, let me like think about like precursor to what I'm going to say. And then I just typed in, I'm like, um, it looks like every poster from the 70s. Sure enough, I typed in 70s horror poster. I'm like, mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, I mean, you've seen it. It's white poster, big block type lettering, who will survive and what will be left of them with an illustration of Leatherface, and I forget this character's name, um, but the first uh, girl is, who dies. I think it's Pam. Yeah, it's Pam. Sounds about right. Pam um, is on the hook, and it's sort of like a reimagining of what that scene looks like. Um, and then Leatherface's chainsaw is cutting into the title treatment, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then there's two other taglines on there. America's most bizarre and brutal crimes and what happened is true. Now the motion picture that's just as real. I mean, mm-hmm. from a graphic design standpoint, it's an excellent poster. Um, it's extremely well organized. Um, it's it treats its type well, it t- treats its illustration well, orientation wise. Like you go from top to bottom, you read everything you're supposed to read. It does exactly what it needs. It's like a very successful poster in that means. And I mean, yeah, it's really good. There's, I mean, I have like minor issues with the, like the art itself. Um, And the only thing is that this always makes it look like it's like outside at like a barn or something. Mm -hmm. And it kind of loses the like creepiness of the house. Um, which I don't love, but I mean, that's such a minor critique. Um, I mean, it's, that's wonderful. But yeah, if you look up like 70s horror posters, I mean, probably even 70s poster, but like you look at Demon Seed, you look at Dawn of the Dead, like anything like in this time period, even like Alice, Sweet Alice, which we covered. And then later on, like Evil Dead, I mean, having these, like the Carrie poster, um, it really is about selling you on these taglines mm-hmm. and then giving you a tease of an an illustrative moment from the movie or the character. Yeah. Which is effective. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of, of the last house on the left poster too, which is from the 60s. Mm-hmm. But a lot, of the yeah. movie, the, a lot of the movie itself reminds me of that movie too. Um, yeah. I definitely think like it, lifted ideas from Craven's, um, you know, original, really hard to sit through masterpiece. Just, I mean, influenced for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, um, no doubt about that. Yeah. He like, there's so many parts where I'm like, Oh, this reminds me so much of this, like last house on the left. Um, like, especially just on this rewatch. Um, which is funny that this is now two episodes in a row that po- we always find a way to talk about Wes, but always, yeah. I mean, it, it it's just... funny not often Last House on Left, which is now two episodes in a row we've had means to talk about it. That's a rough movie, um, but yeah, um, lots of sequels. So obviously, the first one October eleventh, nineteen seventy four, but then we got the second one um, over a decade later, eighty six. Um, Toby didn't really but... want to make it. 
but he did. Yeah, but he did. And it is the only besides new. This is my little trivia fun fact for you. Um, it is the only sequel to one of the franchises that's from the original director. Besides New Nightmare from Craven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only direct sequel. Wow. Yeah. Um, Isn't that crazy? That's wild. Uh, but yeah. yeah, he did it like yeah, 12 years later. You really didn't want to. He had an idea. They didn't like the idea. He ended up doing something different. And he went like a totally different direction. If you've ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, it's like a really weird, dark comedy. Um, I was going to say it's a comedy, isn't it? Yeah. It's exactly. only available, which I think is now like you can't get it anymore. It was a Screen Factory Blue, right? So it's, or Arrow. I think Arrow. One of I think it was an arrow blue, which is it's not available anymore. I thought it was um, like Tubi TV though, or something. It's not online right now. Mm. I watched it recently, and I I don't know. I can't remember where. I thought it was like Pluto or Tubi Tubi or something like that. I mean, it um, might be, yeah. Yeah, because it was one of the, like it was the first time I'd seen it, and I was like, this is fucking weird. Um, then there was Leatherface, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre three, in January twelfth, nineteen ninety. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation in uh, 95. And then we get to our reboots, which is Texas Chainsaw Massacre in 03. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning in 06. Texas Chainsaw 3D in 2013. And then our most recent one was Leatherface, um, which is like an origin story for um, Leatherface, even though so is The Beginning a little bit. But like Leatherface is literally when he's like a child. And then The Mm. Beginning is more when he's like an adolescent. but, have yeah. you seen them all now? I have seen all of them, but I still, I actually, I've never seen three or Next Generation. Yeah, um, so the hardest I've, ones to find. Yeah, so I've seen the first two, and then I've seen all of the reboot stuff. Um, I mean, you know my position on Texas Chainsaw 3D is the same as yours. I actually have a lot of fun with that movie, even though it's, like, pretty much reviled. But I like that. Yeah, I really like that one. Yeah, so I have seen... The first one, obviously, and then um, I've just seen the remake and 3D, actually. You never um, saw the beginning? No, which is weird because I was looking at the dates and... That's like prime era for you. Yeah, I I don't know. So 2006, I would have been in eighth grade. Um, I think I remember my mom seeing it in theaters, but I think that was still at the time where she had to watch it first before she really felt comfortable letting me watch it. I think for some reason she didn't want me to because same thing. I remember Hills Have Eyes came out that year Yep. and she went and saw it in theaters and she's like, uh-uh, you're not watching that. And I'm like, oh, and I'm pretty sure at that point I'd seen the original. And she's like, nope, this one's different. And, you know, she's, of course, referring to the rape scene. She's definitely not comfortable with me watching that at 13 years old, um, which I understand. Uh, So, anywho, but at the time, the remake, that was, like, prime me falling in love with horror and realizing, Mm -hmm. like, this is for me. And I was obsessed with that movie. Um, it wasn't until later that I had actually seen the original. I was only familiar with the remake for a few years. Um, but it was definitely like have a slumber party. I'd invite people over and like I'd always put that in with like the five movies we got. And I'd freak the fuck out of everybody else and be like so excited. to be like, yeah, we're going to watch this. Like, oh, I don't want to. It's okay. We're going to watch it. 
yeah i mean i love the remake but um check out like i like the beginning too and again the cast i mean you got jordana brewster from fast and the furious fame um you got diora baird uh, matt bomer um so it's like totally yeah like that era you know um yeah no i've got to watch him for sure um and i i mean i know i probably haven't seen it since i i don't think i've seen that one since it came out um but originally yeah but i remember liking it uh i know i definitely saw it with uh brandy yeah (laughs) like oh six yeah um so numerous sequels um it's gone back and forth on popularity and box office um the the reboots did extremely well because that was the era of the reboot um when all of them were doing well which is why we got so many of them um and then leatherface literally went straight to vod so i was gonna say that didn't even go to theaters right nope um texas chainsaw 3d did um i saw it so i it didn't come to our hometown um and so we, at the time I was with my, yeah, my husband and I were dating and we drove like an hour away at like 10 a.m. on a Sunday and we went to the theater to see it. We were the only people in the theater and it was like a, like a really little hoity-toity town in like Sonoma County and like wine country, like super close to Napa. Um, and Wait, you I, saw the Hillsburg? We saw it in um, Petaluma. Oh, in Petaluma. Okay. Yeah. And it was like downtown theater, which was so funny. And so it had those moving seats. Oh, weird. In the theater that like you could pay more to have the moving seats. And so we didn't end up doing it because it was literally like $25 a ticket. And we're like, no, we're not going to do that. So we sat like next to them, but swear only once in the theater. Um and yeah, we really liked it, but it was definitely one of those like funny, funny experiences to watch that movie. And like, and then we went to like, you know, exploring wine country after that. Yeah. Um, and it did like Chainsaw made its budget back and then a little bit more, um, which is why I think the next one went to VOD. Like it was enough to greenlight a sequel, but not enough to get into the theaters and, or like our 3D was. And what's weird too is. 3D is a direct slap is a direct sequel to the original Texas, which is mm-hmm. funny because like everyone was freaking out about when Halloween did that, but like 3D did it, you know, five years earlier, but no one gave a shit because it was just, you know, not at, it's not Halloween. Um, yeah. but it ignored all of the sequels. So it literally is a direct yeah. sequel to Texas Chainsaw One. And Marilyn Burns returns. Um yeah, Marilyn Burns returns, and yeah. and then um, Leatherface is a, a prequel to Texas Chainsaw, the original as well, not the reboot origin story. So it's <laughs> all <laughs> fucked up and confusing. Um, and then, you know, supposedly we're going to get a new tech. I think they've said they're working on a new one, but I don't. they're always working on a new one somewhere. So everybody's working on a new version of all of them. I yeah. mean, Halloween is actually happening, but you know, yeah, all the rest of things. Uh, and Scream Five is actually happening, so it is actually happening. I can't believe it. Bless the stars. Um, our director and writer, um, I mean, co writer, but director mm-hmm. and writer, co writer is Toby Hooper. Um, who, um, Toby's interesting. Um, yeah. 
Toby has a really interesting trajectory because he made this, which is one of the most like most well-revered horror movies of all time. And even if it wasn't for the era, like it is now, but even with that, like, and it was massively financially successful. So it put Toby on the map. Um, But he doesn't go on to have the career that everyone else does, um, even in spite of directing Poltergeist. Um, I mean, so he goes on to make The Fun House and then TCM2, um, Spontaneous Combustion, Masters of Horror, a couple others in between. Um, Eaten Alive is another one he did. Um, But even with Poltergeist, um, Spielberg overshadowed him so much on that project. Um, It's a shame because, and you know- That's a perfect horror movie. Yeah, and all the rumors of, like, you know, you believe what you want to believe. Everyone has their own opinion. I think they co-directed it, like, personally, because there are parts of that movie that 100% feel like Spielberg, and there are parts of that movie that 100% feel like Toby. Um, Because, and and if you're not aware, there's a big kerfuffle, because basically, at the time, there was something in the union that made it so a director couldn't direct more than one movie at once, and Spielberg was working on another movie that was on halt, so then he was working on the set of Poltergeist and like people on the set say that Spielberg directed it and they just put Toby's name on it. And then people on the set say a Toby did it and Spielberg was definitely just like as there as a producer. And then people say they both did it. So like it, but Hooper's always been like a very interesting for me because he gets put on like that list of like, you know, masters um, and like, and lots of people love him, um, right, rightfully so. And I've and everything I've heard about Toby is that he was just like the most genuine dude, like just inc- like an incredible human and incredibly nice and down to earth. Um, to me, I've seen most of his catalog, and he never replicates anything close to Texas. I know some people that like TCM two more, um, which I definitely don't. Um, and I love Poltergeist, uh, and it, it's again, but Poltergeist is a weird like this this weird tandem effort between him and Spielberg. And again, like, unfortunately Spielberg gets credited more. I think truly if Spielberg hadn't like been on Poltergeist, Toby would have had a revival in the eighties because that movie was massive. Um, But he never gets credited for it. It's always like people forget that Toby Hooper directed Poltergeist uh, because of Spielberg's involvement. Um, And outside of Poltergeist, I honestly don't think anything ever matches up to, um, to texas so i understand why he's on the list of masters but like he's just never been for me personally and i'm gonna get crucified for this online but like he's just never been like a carpenter craven level for me because whereas like both of them have crafted numerous perfect movies like toby has maybe done two um depending on his involvement in poltergeist mm-hmm um, but still just deserves all the credit and more because like, I kind of feel the same way about George Romero and a lot of his movies too. So, um, like, I think he really crafted a perfect movie and then. Well, and also though, with that said, who is to say that being a master of horror means that you have had to have only had to have had a certain amount of horror movies and ideas. Oh, and, no, no, I mean, no. yeah. I think just he's how, I is mean, a master of horror. Yeah, I mean, he's I just think never been level for me. You know? Right. Yeah, I mean, which is understandable. I mean, I don't think anybody really compares him to Craven or Carpenter, um, but I do think co-writing, filming, and doing the score for this film, 
mm-hmm. uh, like is just a testament to, I mean, if this was his only idea, if this was the only thing he ever executed, I mean, what a master at it. Yeah, no, for, oh, like, for in sure. His defense. Yeah, no, like, I don't want to take anything away from Oh, Joe. no, and I don't think uh, you are. Yeah. I think it's just, I'm, if anything, backing up your claim more that, like, the rest of his filmography, which I can't speak to. I mean, I absolutely live Poltergeist, and I do think that's a perfect movie. I love it to my core. Um, but I don't, I don't think I've seen any of, I've, I haven't ch- gotten around checking out Funhouse and I haven't, I don't think I've seen his other stuff. So I can't really speak to his filmography, but that, I mean, that's part of it. I can't speak to his filmography where I can say I've seen almost if all of Carpenter and Craven stuff, it's just a different, different career. Mm-hmm. And yes, very, um, very different. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that being said, Texas Chainsaw is a perfect movie and everything I've heard about Toby is great and he's missed. I will definitely say that, you know, like we... R.I.P. Yeah, we definitely lost a master uh, with... Yeah, fudge. When, when Toby left. Um, and we will get around to the fun house one day because it is a slasher and it is a lot of fun. I think that movie is a blast. Um, written us uh, the co-writer is Kim Hankel. Um who also would go on to do Leatherface TCM three um, and Next Generation, and then um, Butcher Boys, which I've never heard of until right now. Yeah, and it's funny too because uh, Marilyn Burns is in that. Um, I'm not sure if it's just like a cameo or what, but that did pop up on her filmography. Um, Butcher Boys. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I've seen the cover of this movie. I've definitely seen the cover of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, 2012. Um, yeah, most of his writing credits are all because of characters from Texas Chainsaw. Um, but he did actually write the script for three and four. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Then um, he did alive also with Toby. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the score was done, like I just said, by Toby and Wayne Bell. Um, Bell, um, only other score credit is for next generation um the rest he's all been on the sound department um or like producing he's definitely still in the industry from the sound department for boyhood and then like that before midnight before sunrise movies um, um so he's the link ladder guy what's a link ladder the um richard link ladder directed boyhood and the before trilogy ah so it's all the same director like what's a link ladder yeah um, i definitely thought that was some kind of like uh like career term you know did you before sunset too i wonder i'm gonna look it up i mean probably it's there's a lot of stuff he's he has he's worked on a lot of things um i definitely found that interesting though um and this score is i mean it's really minimal very of the times Mm -hmm. um very 70s, you know, you watch any of these movies. I, I've noted it before, but, you know, Carrie is another one that's really like that. It's quiet mm-hmm. and it's super quiet. And then, you know, it has its moments of just really basic, intricate, but just the music is there to build you in that moment when there's already action happening. Yep. Um, but that whole beginning scene where we fr- first see Leatherface in the house, it's quiet. There's no noises. It's just them. There's no score. It's well, eerie. And what stood out to me too, I mean, yes, that the main noise is her screaming in the chainsaw, which is yeah. 
I mean, it's brilliant of Toby to be like, this is the score. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, because that makes it so much more real. It It feels real. Um, But I do, again, what brings me back to Last House on the Left is that opening scene and when the hitchhiker is being like really strange and like all these violent things are starting to happen and it's playing that like super upbeat, like really weird just like upbeat music and it reminded me the same thing happened in the last house on the left when like uh-huh. when that first scene happens um or not the first scene but when you know the most violent scene in the movie happens there's this like really upbeat like super playful music playing and mm-hmm. it's so the contradiction is so off-putting and it's definitely again i think that's where i look at this and i'm like i know he was inspired by craven like i just know yeah. it. um but it's it's really good. Like it's because it makes it more upsetting. <laughs> yeah, I think I can't remember if it was like in the house or the store, but the same. There's kind of this like super, you know, twingy seventies like country song playing, um, and it's the same thing. It's it's exactly what you said. It's realistic, mm-hmm. and so much about this film is meant to is meant to be like it's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that having a lack of score just benefits that, and you know, there's a lot of elements in this um, that just make it feel like you're you're in it, and you're not so much in a production; you're just witnessing what's happening. Yep. Ooh. Um, our editors are Larry Carroll and Sally Richardson. Um, Larry was mostly a screenwriter. He also wrote um, *Tourist Trap*, um, which we'll cover one day. Uh, it, that's a super but I love that movie um and then tv shows for episodes of shows like Ghostbusters and Star Trek The Next Generation lots of tv yeah yeah um holy crap um this guy has a big career my god the cinematographer I was like oh not what I was expecting his name is Daniel Pearl 231 credits on IMDb I mean it kind of makes sense though because if you watch this if I watch this movie it'd be like give me that cinematographer yeah because it's beautifully um, shot. It is. It is. It really is. Um, and luckily, if you watch the movie like we did on Shutter, or restored. if it's restored, yeah. Um, and it's it's bright and clear, and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so thankful that they were able to do that because it just really this this movie deserves it for sure. Oh yeah. Um. So, I mean, he does a ton of genre stuff. So, in recently, um, like The Boy, The Intruder, Mom and Dad, um, which I really liked. The Friday remake, which I love how that movie looks. Um, And so, that, like, makes me really happy. And then the reason why he has so many credits is because a fuck ton of movie movie videos. Woo, music videos. That, yeah, that makes sense. Um... Then we get to our cast. Uh, Marilyn Burns is our final girl who plays Sally Hardesty. Um, she would go on to also be a, um, play Verna slash Sally in the Texas Chainsaw 3D and then Helter Skelter. Um, most of these people did not have like very big careers. So. No. Uh, like almost all, I was even just looking like earlier when I was looking up the name of Pam and like that's yeah. pretty much all she ever did. Um, so like a lot of these people just 
even like Gunnar Hansen shows up a lot in like horror stuff as a cameo because he's an icon he's for Earthhands. Yeah. yeah, he's Leatherface, but like it's not like he went on to have some like he 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 definitely wasn't you know like England or 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 even Kane Hodder. Um, yeah. So uh, okay, so he's not in the movie, but I swear to you. The what is the 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 name of the trope? The character who warns everybody. There's uh, a name for that trope. Yeah, it's um, they use it in the cabin in the woods. The harbinger. Yes. So the harbinger character, the one who's like drunk and falling over, is Jim Varney. I swear to you. Um. Er, but it's not because I looked it up. But Jim his Bar- voice, Ernest? like Ernest. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm no, like you didn't think that when you saw that character? I mean, no, he definitely it's, sounds like Ernest. Yeah. He sounds like Ernest and his face I mean, he's like, you know, got all like gruff on him and he's supposed to be like the town drunk warning them about the bad shit that happens in this town, but I was like, "Whoa, is this like Jim Varney?" But I think he's too old to have been Jim Varney. Oh, he's definitely. Yeah. Um, in at that time anyways but i'm telling you it was him but not you know what i mean oh I, like I, him I, from the future in the past in that role right or like his grandfather or something i'm like a hundred percent convinced it somehow is still him even though the internet told me it wasn't um i will say this too um this movie they got some very interesting looking people in this movie <laughs> Oh no! Uh, Here comes Ryan's I critique just, on looks and outfits. I'm just saying, um, and it's I I don't have a lot to say about the looks of people like Gunner as Leatherface is obviously made up to be much uglier than he is in person um, because Gunner is nowhere near that like monstrous looking. I mean, he's and a I big guy. Why. Yeah, he's six. Uh, he was six four. He was a big dude, um, but um, what mainly I'm thinking of is just the the hitchhiker and so edwin neal and then the guy who's at the gas station who's like sitting out in front when the gas guy with the gas guy who's like ain't got no gas but like uh-huh. the, that man has the largest forehead i have ever it like well, it like it, it just never ends i'm just saying they, did, also, a good, they did a good job at finding people that you would find off putting or, yes. or if it's makeup or whatever it is, makeup exaggerated. I'm just saying some very I'm, – I'm trying to be nice because I know I've said <laughs> things in the past. So I'm just saying some very interesting-looking people. Yeah, the people in this film look off-putting. Yes. This is not a sexy CW cast. No. 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 Where uh, somehow even the bad guys are still like just attractive guys in their forties. Yeah, that no, they've put like not. some grease on, which is like every slasher from the aughts. Somehow they're still attractive. Um, I, yeah, I, I like the backwoods movies a lot. Um, we've yeah. talked about that before. Um. Because, you know, in a way I can relate to it because we grew up in the backwoods. Um, and so I actually find it scary, unlike demons, which I didn't grow up with demons. So they don't scare me. <laughs> um, but th- this is. Yeah. Well, you grew up with demons. Ryan was yeah, exactly. Ryan was taught about them 
I was taught nothing yeah. about them. Exactly. Um, I have like no, I didn't grow up religious at all. And I don't have a lot of context for anything in the Bible. And so the, the supernatural, all of my knowledge of the Bible comes from the TV show Supernatural. Like Ryan will say something. He's like, you don't know that story? And I'm like, no, no. And he'd be like, okay, so you know in Supernatural, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay, that's from the Bible. I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like that's – so that whole decade of movies that were all very religious-based and none and demon and stuff, like I was like, oh, yeah, cool. This is like some cool jump scares, but I have no reference to why this is scary because um, it's not a childhood fear of mine to fear – like the devil and demons it is my childhood fear to fear the person at the gas station and the person at the house at the end of the road because you know that happened because yeah. <laughs> that's our friend's dad <laughs> right um so i i enjoy that about this and i enjoy that it feels like sort of that combination of you know backwoods killers and slasher at the same time because we don't actually see a lot of that yeah no we don't it's usually one or the other and people since then have tried to encapsulate that rob zombie in particular mm -hmm. and, I, and i still feel like even he misses the mark and like i enjoy those movies but they're yeah. nowhere near like what this is yeah. or they're not they're not really slashers either right it's like this does a good job of being both mm -hmm. where i think a lot of like even movies like wrong turn um they work really well as a backwoods movie but they could have worked as a slasher but then it it ends up failing because they don't enact enough of the formula or the tropes necessary yep um, so i do appreciate that about the interesting looking people in this movie um yeah so paul r part paul a partain is franklin um who is one of the most hated characters in horror cinema by the way like everyone hates franklin so much interesting yeah i did not know that oh man go on twitter one day and just like post something about franklin and you will see like the, the franklin hate is fucking real um william Poor vale is, i know william vale is kirk alan dingenzer as uh, jerry terry mcmin as pam those are like our kids you know our teens um and then we get gunner hansen as leatherface um Edwin Neal as the hitchhiker, Jim Sadow as the cook, John Dugan as Grandpa Sawyer, and that's our family, which, you know, we don't learn now, but they're the Sawyers. And then John Larroquette, who, if you look him up, you will definitely recognize him because he's been in everything for, like, 20 years um, mm -hmm. as, as our narrator um, in the very opening scene. Yeah. And then um, somehow Jim Varney in some kind of iteration yeah. of his existence. Yeah. Um yeah, and Gunner, you know, um, Gunner would go on to become a horror icon because of playing um, uh, Leatherface. But he does only play him in this movie. He never reprised the role. Um, and he uh, he has a cameo in Texas Chainsaw 3D. He has a cameo in Death House because, you know, there was that whole The Expendables of Horror thing. Um, and then I do love that he was in Reykjavik Whale Watching Massacre. Um, which is an Icelandic horror movie, and he was in that because he is Icelandic. Or no, he is, um, yeah, he is Icelandic. He was born in Reykjavik. So just a wow. fun little fact for you. I love fun facts. Yeah, so that, and that was like one of his last roles. It was in 2009, and he plays um, a captain in that movie, but they tapped him. Oh, I didn't realize he had passed away. That's sad. Yeah, Why he passed. Why is everybody in, in this movie 
not alive. That makes me sad. Yeah, he passed before Death House came out. It was like right before I remember because he's in Death House, but it's posthumous. Because um, I know Marilyn Burns died like the year three uh, 3D came out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then you know we all know Toby. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's yeah a lot of its crew has passed on since, but I mean it's an older movie. Um, it's like yeah, it's that of, old. No, but it's one of the oldest movies we covered, and like you also have to think true. like they were also older when they like were making it. I mean, Gunnar Hansen was born in '47, so by the time this came out, he was already in his 30s or near 30. Um, so right, so that really only puts these people like in their 60s, 70s. Yeah, he was 68 when he passed. So. Too young. R.I.P. I agree. Um, like we said, this is a proto slasher through and through. Yeah, and yeah, reference for that. I mean, other movies we've covered: Bay of Blood, seventy-one, um, Black Christmas, same year, seventy-four, um, and then we get like a little bit closer: Alice, Sweet Alice, Town That Dreaded Sundown, seventy-six, Halloween, seventy-eight. Slashers officially started, um, and so you can see that. I mean. Really, this came out before Black Christmas, same year, but before and was shot. I think the movie was done for like a year before it even came out. Um, and so I, this is early 70s stuff. Um, this is this is the beginning for sure. It's it's nuts to see it stacked up and realize like how early it is. Mm-hmm. Because Leatherface does always get lumped in like with the slasher icons. Um, and... You go, oh, yeah, I mean, it's Leatherface, of course. And then you really think about it, and it's like, yeah, but he existed, like, when these movies didn't exist. Yep. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, yeah, and you can definitely, you can tell, because, it, like, just very similarly to the other proto slasher movies, it, like, doesn't follow the traditional slasher tropes that we've learned, um, like, are, you know, as B and I often refer to on the show as the blueprint. Um, mm-hmm. It, it, it does, didn't exist. Right, because it didn't exist, so it touches pieces of it, but um, ultimately it doesn't. Like it, it, it leans or it it lends a lot of itself to what would become the blueprint. Right. Um, yeah, we have five deaths, four kills in the movie. Um, you know, so like we said, it's on Shutter. I um, and we so one go watch it if you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's absolutely one hundred percent essential viewing. Um, mm. I think even just as a film fan, not even a horror fan. And yeah, or if you've seen it and it's been 5, 10, 15 years, just go watch it again. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time. Since, I haven't seen it since high school. If, a you've long seen time, the restored version, if you've never seen the restored version, it's so wild. Yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, like we – and we said that this plot is not essential. Like, um, you know, we're introduced to our characters that are on the way to this gravesite, and there's, you know, the five of them in the band, they pick up a hitchhiker. Like there's a dumb plot point. Who's traveling to, like, a town they never known with their friends reading astrology to visit their grandfather's grave that they don't actually really know where it is? Like, it's... Oh, yeah, it's very It doesn't odd. make any sense. Like, no. what a like, weird way to put these characters in. Like, it does show you, like when they take the remake like they go like okay well we can do maybe a little bit better than this like or like yeah it's just goofy because like you could have just made it so they were traveling cross cross country right yeah Um, but but they needed a reason to be able to find a house not even the sawyer house just a house to stop at because it was their grandfather's house you know so yeah 
they shoehorn in this. But it's obvious, like, obviously, um, Toby was not a writer, <laughs> you know? Um, and Hankel, even though he wrote um, other movies, like, he refined his craft from there on. And also, but, like, it's not like those movies are super well-known for their great writing either. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, again, we have people that are, are t- more, more talented in other areas. And also, they are still talented in the script where it matters because, like, even though the story and the dialogue isn't great, like the script is still telling us or not telling us what's going to be happening. And so it's in, it's in the sparsity of the character stuff that we get the more important stuff. Um, but like, yeah, so, I mean, these kids are headed out there. They pick up this hitchhiker who is very like, has, he works at the, um, the plant uh or it's a butch uh what is it called a slaughterhouse he works at the slaughterhouse and he has like pictures of the animals he's killed and obviously they realize like this guy's a little off um and he like takes a picture of them and then he lights a picture on fire and then he like cuts his own hand open and he cuts franklin's hand open and they throw him out of the van um and then so like that's your first like idea that things aren't quite right in this town that they're passing through. Um, yeah. So like literally it starts off with this weird hitchhiker scene, which the whole thing's off putting. I like, like I said, the music is very off putting the whole situation, like even like her reading all the horoscopes and then like them acting like super nonchalant about this dude, literally using a razor to cut their friend's hand open and then smear his own blood all over their van. And then they just stop at the gas station. Like we're good. I was like, they're like, we're never going to pick up a hitchhiker again. Like that's it. I know. I just like the repercussions were so odd. And like, it's funny too, because like Franklin is obsessed with it for the rest of the movie. And then like, but the rest of them are like, would you get over it? And I'm like, bro, his hand was just cut open. Like I was literally like, and in his my- knife is gone. Like that's a big thing. He's like, where's my knife? Like, what'd you do with my knife? Poor guy. Like it's a little concerned about keeping himself safe. Rightfully so. Yeah. No, I was laughing. Cause I was, I literally in my head was picturing if that happened to us like, <laughs> as a group of friends, I was like, I know for a fact, I was like, dude, we would be talking about that forever. Like uh-huh. there, there's no way we would ever stop talking about the time some dude just cut our friend's freaking yeah. arm open. But It'd they're just like, like <laughs> an everyday story we would tell. Yeah. Um, like somehow, like, oh yeah. And did we tell you about that time? Yeah. They're just like, oh, well now we need gas and we're going to go out to this house so that these two couples can like bang it out. it's like super weird yeah it's like nonsensical yeah and then we get like a lot of you know um moving towards like they get to the house like b said um franklin's looking for his knife um sally and her boyfriend whose name i forget right now um are they stay at the house while the other two go to look for like a watering hole to go swimming yeah, in. Carrie, I think is her boyfriend and it's Kirk and Pam who are the other couple. Yeah. So Kirk and Pam like go to find a watering hole, which they found has like not existed for years because it's too dry. Um, and then while they're out there though, they see like um, a mining rig. So they think they found gas. And so they go to like explore it. And they run across, like, all these old cars and, like, this, like, house that kind of looks abandoned. Um, And then, I mean, that's when we, that's when we meet Leatherface. And, like, this scene is so fucking wild. Like, it's just, like, I, I can't even think of what it would be like to see this movie in the 70s where this, I mean, 
this giant man wearing human skin just comes out and like even though there's not a lot of blood like the way he like this scene is actually probably the bloodiest in the movie as far as like bloodletting hits him in the head and then he's convulsing on the ground and then he just gives him like one more smack pulls him back and shuts that door like that scene is just so like it's so visceral and brutal and so and it's so surprising because like kirk's in the house and then like just leatherface is just there Yep. instantly and there's no like i said there's no score there's no score cues yep. there's no warning it's just in the middle of the day it's just so like looking back on it from our perspective of horror and like what we grew up with it's the opposite of any anything we've been taught yep and, and, and it happens in like nuts. 40 seconds yeah it's like he shows up, he hammers him, and he starts convulsing, which is really hard to watch. It, uh-huh. and, then it, and then he hits him again, and just the severity of him slamming that metal door shut. And, like, you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and then um, Pam comes in, you know, and there's that very, very famous scene of her running out as Leatherface grabs her and pulls her back in. Um, and then she's hung up on the meat hook, and he butchers Kirk in front of her with the chainsaw, but we don't see any of that. Like obviously the chainsaw is heard and shown and then, but mostly we're watching Pam as um, she tries to get off of the meat hook as she's watching Leatherface kill Kirk, but we're not really seeing it, you know? No, I mean, and nothing's and there isn't anything happening because you can even see like the motions of the, but he's not hit. I mean, he's supposed to be hitting something, but like, there's intentionally no for whatever reason and i'm not sure what that was for rating reasons for money reasons why they chose not to have the gore um but yeah it's so much of this and like the fear is is based on the reactions of the other characters yep yeah 100 percent. like pam to a lesser extent does the same thing Sally will end up doing, but she's just not on screen as long. Like I give Terry McMinn and Marilyn Burns such massive amount of credit. The men barely exist. Like, yeah, I mean, they're both killed so fast. Um, that's a, that's a commentary on this film too, is like, it's purposely keeps the women alive longer. It Mm -hmm. purposely is tormenting them both emotionally by mm-hmm. with Pam having her like that's intentional to hook her up and have her see her boyfriend die. It was more commentary on the Vietnam War. It yeah. was women were what were now where the we'd had wars before where women had to wait to see hear news. Like women were yeah. literally watching their their husbands and loved ones get murdered on television. Yeah. Um so yeah, no, um I mean, Toby knew what he was doing. And, like, it's it's so funny because, like, Texas is still regarded as, like, one of the most violent. Like, you just think of Texas and you're like, oh, it's so violent. But it's, like, not really. It's all implied violence and, and like, brutality. Like, there are there are moments. Um, like, when he, he – so, like, the next person to die um, is Jerry, you know. Um, uh, but even even Jerry is, like, not – that's a pretty quick kill. It's, it's not until we get to, like, Franklin. Like, Franklin, he kills with the chainsaw. Right. Um, but like, you know, Jerry stumbles across the house and then he's also killed very quickly by Leatherface. He finds Pam's body. Pam like lunges out of the freezer. Uh, Leatherface is right behind him and kills him like really fast, like a blow to the head again. Um, yeah. So it's not until Franklin. So like the men's deaths is like 
or the brutality of it all is seen through the women's reactions mm -hmm. to what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, so Franklin dies and then Marilyn Burns just basically starts her, one of the best performances ever given in a horror movie. Well, like yeah. with, with that, I mean, holy shit, how exhausting is this entire sequence? Like by the I end know. of I can only imagine, like, I would love to know more. I didn't, and I don't know if this exists. Maybe it does. Um, like how, how many takes was this? How long was the process of just filming this final act with her? Um, because wow. I it's, mean, it's just, yeah, it's, I mean, she starts screaming and just never lets up and it's, it never sounds forced. It never found sounds, exhaustive it sounds like primal fear the entire goddamn time um and her running and not just her running but the the mania behind gunner like the two of them in tandem work so well together as like such a terrifying scene because it again just hooper uh, with this cast somehow created something that you're like this is real like this right. is really fucking happening um because there's just something about like Gunnar Hansen's gait, like the way he walks, because he's so big and he has this weird, like kind of lumbering, almost like awkward walk. That's also, you know, like his body's being pulled by the chainsaw. And then, you know, Sally is just like primitive fear, like running, like literally running for her life. And then the cinematography. And then like you, like you pointed out, you know, like no score. I mean, mm -hmm. just, just the noise of what's happening. And then they give us a little break when she thinks she's safe. Uh, yeah. And that's, and again, that's like, they didn't need to have like show these things and they didn't need to have, you know, the actual hacking up of anybody or any of the kills that we come to see as so fun and inventive in slashers later on. Mm -hmm. Um, because so much of this is about the, you know, the reactions of our victims and then just the suspense of, I mean, that, that is what I held on to me so much when I first saw like the remake, my first exposure to this film that I think they got spot, spot on in the remake and, and just like in this one, you think there's respite. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, there's other people in this town and this is just one crazy like person in this town and I'm going to get to this spot and I'm going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And she's not because it's not just this one person. It's this family. And honestly, it's this town because they enable the family. Yep. And even without, I mean, we obviously know quote unquote more about the mythology because of seeing sequels. But even if we ignore that knowledge, we do know just because of that opening scene that the town is at least aware that this family does bad things. Yep. And they allow it to happen. Like when you finish the movie, you're under that impression that they are very aware that this happens and it has happened before. Um, and so because everything feels so real, the way it's shot, the way it's the coloring, the fact that it's in the middle of the day, the fact that there's no score and, you know, it gets late. And then, you know, the 
the big finale happens at sunrise, uh-huh. that's a different kind of atmosphere. Uh-huh. And I that's what's so effective about it is that you're like I said earlier, you just feel like you're watching in on something. They're selling you exactly what they promised on the poster. Right. This happened and you're about to watch it for real. Like yeah. what is the tagline? Um what happened, what happened is, is true. true. Now the motion picture that's just as real. That's a hundred percent what this film is. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's every single thing about it is so intentional and just making you feel like even in the the only moments where it loses that is, you know, the the lack of script, the lack of well-written dialogue between the characters, the lack of character development in the first 30 minutes that we kind of focus on the people in the van before we really get into the purpose of the film. Right. That's it. That's the only time we lose any of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there's so much about we follow them across the course of the day and, like, what's so effective, too, I think, that Hooper and, you know, our cinematographer that, like, um, uh, do so beautifully, Daniel Pearl, is Leatherface is scary across all parts of the day. <laughs> right. Um, and, like, so, like, this, you know, the night scene where he's where Leatherface is chasing her through the woods, horrifying, because they're both at, like, a full tilt sprint. Um and like you know, they're—I mean—he's on her tail the whole time, um, mm-hmm. and that—that that is super scary too. And then you know, so then she gets taken back to this house, and she realizes this family—they're—they kill people, you know, and they use the obviously their skin, and uh, like you know, Leatherface wears their skin, and they and they kill these people, um, and she realizes that this hitchhiker is part of this family, and then she meets you know the grandpa who looks like he's dead, and he's not. Yeah, uh, do we know anything about that? Uh, do you know any background on what that's about? None. Um, okay. I, I mean, I'm not familiar with like what that the reasoning for that choice is. I just to make him even scarier, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like he sucks blood from her finger. Well, that's the only reason she knows he's alive, and it's kind of yeah. a jump scare. Um, do you think he's dead? Yeah. He dead. Um, yeah, but then, you know, Sally, Sally escapes and the hitchhiker and Leatherface chase after her. The hitchhiker is killed, um, by a truck. And then, you know, we get one of the most beautifully shot endings of a horror movie ever in history. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, this entire sequence of her in the back of the truck, just like, like laugh, laughing, screaming that she got away, like, just like maniacal crying while Leatherface is like just like pirouetting in the middle of the road with his chainsaw like while the sun is coming up it's just like one of those things that you watch and you're like holy shit they nailed it like i mean yeah i I mean that scene to me is just like iconic it's just one of it's one of those scenes like so many scenes in this movie are you know the scene of him pulling pan back in the scene of him slamming that door shut their their chase through the woods at night and then this scene itself like to me, this scene is so important to the slasher genre because what it is, is it's our final girl getting away and triumphing, which is very, like, shown 
tragically, but iconically. And then it's also our slasher living another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, there's so much about this final scene where I'm like, that's a fucking slasher movie. A hundred percent. That is a slasher movie. Um, and you know, whereas the arc will go to evolve where the final, final girl triumphs in more victorious ways over our killer, um, sometimes by literally killing them or defeating them, you know, like, I think Sally represents like showing this idea that you can't defeat it. You can only escape it for a while. Right. Um, which is, is just like a huge, a huge thing. And slasher would go on to be such a huge thing as a slasher trope, as we've seen, because, you know, slashers are notoriously franchises. Um, mm-hmm. So it would go on to become something that was super important to the blueprint of the slasher formula. Maybe not right when it started, but over time. Right. Because we have, I mean, we don't assume we know that, you know, to have my bloody Valentine and you had to have had Friday before that. And you had to have had Halloween before that and then black Christmas and then this, and mm-hmm. you know, we say it on the show. Like we think my bloody Valentine is the perfect representation of the blueprint mm-hmm. and of what an 80s slasher is. And You can see that here, just like we saw in like Bay of Blood, where it's like taking these ideas where like, yeah, that worked really well. Like, how do we, how do we expand on that? Mm -hmm. So exactly like this, like how, like people really like obviously reacted to Sally in this arc of her surviving at the end and of her spending the finale of the film, like being neck and neck with this killer and evading him. Um, in a variety of ways, trying to get help that didn't work out, you know, trying to fight for her life, um, you know, getting a trucker involved, getting another guy involved, like anything to survive. They're like, okay, yeah, we like that. And then ex- exactly like what you said, expand. they took that and they're like, okay, well, what if she's the one who actually like fights the killer instead of just escaping him? Like, won't that be even better? And then, you know, okay, well, you know, Leatherface like survives at the end and that's awesome because that means he can come back and also makes him scarier because we know he's still alive. But what if we think he's dead and Mm -hmm. then he pops back up, Um, which is obviously like one of the most famous slasher tropes. So all of these, you see that they're just right there. Yep. They're just right there. Even with the kills in this as few that there are and as how um off screen or whatever you can even see how they relate like the kill with pam how we see her on the meat hook we don't actually see her death but then we have you know jerry discovering her and the freezer and having the jump scare of her body Mm -hmm. um that's very much um a, a future slasher trope something that they've taken from this movie and gone that worked really well like here we just thought she died and we weren't going to see her again but now her body's going to pop back up yeah um no i mean it's even more so than i remembered like watching this i'm like for how it's surprising for how early it is Mm -hmm. it's how much of a slasher it is yeah like you just really really see like those bones there yeah and it's funny because you know sometimes even us as like 
people who do this every other week and like love slashers like you forget because black christmas is the same like sure it misses some of the like more like really slashery tones of something but like it's all there you know like it's just like it's you can see it in like it's it's i mean this i it's just it's wild to look that this and black christmas both came out in the same year and then you know like they're they both totally really to me like these two combined like create a almost perfect slasher movie because black christmas does black christmas succeeds in areas where this fails where and we have the character development that we've yes, come to know exactly. and love in We get the movies. character development, but Black Christmas fails in the sense that we never see our killer. And like, mm-hmm. we don't, and so like you mix those two together. It's like someone, I mean, and that, that is what happened. Someone was no, exactly. to and go, what if it was? Yeah, it was. It was Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, Carpenter was like, how do we do both of these? Yeah. And then four years later, we get Halloween. Yeah, so um, it's just, it's so cool to watch something like this and know where we've come from it and, like, what it has mm-hmm. helped. Um, so our killers are the Sawyer family who would go on to be important in their own right, but um, specifically Leatherface, who, as we mentioned, is an icon. Um, yeah. Leather, he, again, he's, you know, not as well known as Freddie, Michael, and Jason, but he's the next one. You know, right. it's like Leatherface and Chucky are right under um, those guys. Um, and a very, very, very important, um, horror icon, um, you know, and has gone on to get developed more. Um, but I, and especially in this, like, I think Leatherface is particularly terrifying because we don't know anything other than like, this guy wears human skin and just cuts people up with a chainsaw. There's no, like, we don't have a motive. We don't know anything about him. Um, like, like he's just doing this. Um, and then our iconic weapon obviously the chainsaw right even though he's not actually killing with the chainsaw um and all but one and only one kill um i mean that is his weapon of terror that and that's how he's getting to these people and he is using the chainsaw post killing them to hack their body up and wear their skin (laughs) and you know yeah wear a little face mask yeah he has to yeah he has to wish uh what is it it's a facial yeah. Um, exactly yeah sally is her final girl sally goes on obviously to be one of the most important final girls in slasher history um incredibly iconic we've talked about her almost ad nauseum at this point but you know um i don't think enough credit can be given to marilyn burns uh, for what she did for this role and for the performance that she delivered um i don't know if anything like this has ever really been matched as far as slashers go i don't think you know like obviously for me she's not like the most she's not the most iconic final girl because we would get to a point where final girls have a different kind of arc but that performance is hard to it's really hard to match um, it is and it's i mean it's just so different oh and, it's really different. yeah and this it's funny because this is probably where the proto aspect plays in more than other aspects of like her. I mean, she doesn't have an arc. There is oh. no arc. It's she survives. Her and normally, is- yeah. And normally that's a big critique of ours when we get movies and we're like, well, I mean, she survives. So she's our final girl. Um, but in this case, it doesn't matter because we don't have our Lori, our Lori's. We don't have our Sydney's yet. We don't have, 
that idea isn't there that they're not going to just survive. They're actually going, you know, we don't have our Jenny, like we're going to fight back and like take this into our own hands. Um, And so I think for a final girl that does just survive the way she does it. Yeah. Oh, she's the best to ever do it. Like as far as a final girl that isn't like your prototypical fight back final girl she is the best final girl like mm-hmm. hands down like without question there's no doubt um just pure emotion and reality and grit and yeah. i mean and she does i mean she's keeping up with i mean what's gone her six five um mm-hmm. this massive guy she's like the size of a toothpick like just pure survival instincts yeah. um it's yeah. yeah, that's that's why. I mean, yeah, I said you know she she plays fear at, at its most primal level, um, yeah. which is why we can connect to it because it's something we can relate to. Um, favorite kill? I know there's not a lot of them, but I mean, I think I know what you're gonna go with, but go for it. Oh, what am I gonna go with? No, I need I, to. I think you're gonna go with Kirk because you love how a, a first kill like sets the tone for things um yeah that is definitely my favorite um especially because it's so shocking um because you are expecting something to go wrong um after like the hitchhiker and the like weird encounter with the townspeople but not that like that's literally the opposite i think of what anybody expects is this giant guy wearing the skin of other people on his face with a chainsaw killing you instantly not so. Yep. Um, yeah. No, and I'm I'm with you. Kirk is easily my favorite because yeah. the same reasons. It's just so shocking. And like it does, it lets you know that's the moment where you know what this movie is and you feel it's one of those things where you just, even as a longtime horror watcher, you can, you, I watched it today. You know, you can go back and you watch it. And when that happens, like the hitchhiker stuff sets things off is weird, but then that happens and you're like, this is different and like this is special um like the way they were able to do that is like you it's just it sets the tone um and i think it does so like brilliantly um yeah position in the horror landscape obviously just one of the most important horror movies that ever i mean ever made yeah <laughs> one of one of the most uh it's it's detrimental to or like or it's it's monumental in film and it's um and it's monumental in horror like it's but it, it transcends horror you know at this point um and just so much credit to hooper um for uh, just again like his direction uh being able to do that on a shoestring budget um but yeah it's just uber 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 famous and leatherface is also super famous i mean this movie will never get lost in the shuffle of time yeah um so at the end of every episode we do rank our movies which you can find at keepstreaming.com slash the dash list um and this will be our 66th movie movie um and we always have the most trouble with proto slashers Because, yeah, I mean, if you guys have listened to the show before, we rank things on how well they perform as a slasher, not as favorites, and not how they do as movies. Because, obviously, like, if we were talking just about, you just heard us gush about this movie, like, if we were talking about 
how good Texas Chainsaw Massacre is as a movie, it would be like in our top five, probably. Um, definitely. Uh, but as a slasher, you know, proto slashers are different. Um, there's different things to consider. Uh, it's how much of this, and I think we've done a pretty good job so far on the proto slashers is kind of looking at like how much of this would go on to influence slashers. Um, which is why, you know, like for instance, Bay of Blood is lower than, um, our other, like, like some of our other protos. It's still pretty high, but it's, well, it's lower than Black Christmas, um, but it's higher than, you know, um, like Town of the Dreaded Sundown. Um, man, Black Christmas is number three though, but I don't think this performs as a slasher as well as Black Christmas. Well, Mm pretty close actually it just Mm -hmm. like i said it it trades the important parts for the other important parts right so the things that black christmas really succeeds in and you can see is like the inventive kills that are really themed um getting our character development spending time with these people caring about them so that then as they you know get taken off one by one much more of a stalking element in Black Christmas, hmm. um, which this house and like playing. I mean, we yeah. get that a little bit, but it's little, not. No. It's more so this these people stumbled upon us, and we're going to keep them in the town because yeah. they even make a comment. Um, the um, I forget the cook um, makes a comment to the hitchhiker, um, like, "Oh, you almost ruined it for us." Like, you almost scared them off. So, like, obviously it is their intention to keep these people in town. Um, but they're not stalking them. It's more of a, like, well, you're already trapped. You're not right. going anywhere. Um, yeah, it's but, interesting. But we get an incredible killer. And, and a, Who's a, way more interesting than Billy, obviously, who we know nothing about. Right. And I mean, I would say Black Christmas also gives us an incredible final girl, a very different final girl, Um, but looking at an absolutely iconic final girl in this movie. Mm -hmm. But I don't, I will say I, in that sense, I do think it probably falls just under Black Christmas because I think, so like we said, it trades off on certain things, but the things that it does have in common, I think Black Christmas still does a little better as far as where slashers will go. Like the Black, the, the final girl we see in Black Christmas is more in line with the Black, or with the final girl we'll see in slashers over time. Right. Oh yeah. It's it's much more in line with the going like, okay, yeah, we like this development. Yeah. Like we like this character, this is going to be, successful in the future um trying to think of what else obviously our killer in this which i mean our killer in black christmas is just different um the like anonymity is scary in its own way but um we that's such an integral part to what a slasher is is who's doing the slashing Mm -hmm. um and it's not as interesting for a final role to face off with somebody that we don't get to know anything about. Right. But Um, even if it's like a Michael Myers situation where if you just think of the first Halloween, 
all we know about him is he's stalking her. Yeah. That's still terrifying. Right. And we still also know Michael killed his daughter, or I mean his sister in the beginning of the movie. Yes. You know? So like we have- And we see him and what he looks like and- A little bit more with Michael. Um, And we see, well, well, we see him. We never see the killer in Black Christmas. No. It's not about him. It's about the girls in the house. Right. Um, we get a similar, like, kind of, I mean, the ambiguous ending, though. You know, the phone rings, the killer has escaped, so we know, like, he's lived to kill another mm-hmm. day. Um, they're, they're like, neck and neck. They really are. Um, I, 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 like, it's hard because you start, like, I start looking at, th- I start thinking about things, like, because as a movie and as a slasher and or as a proto slasher, they do things so well. I start looking going like, okay, what's the direction? Like they're both beautifully directed mm-hmm. like Bob Clark mm-hmm. and you know, Toby did amazing jobs. Um, yeah. I would argue a Roy Moore, um, his script was probably a little more solid, um, mm-hmm. but well, and in black Christmas, we get more of the, like the cops get involved. We, as far as the blueprint is concerned, we do get a little bit more from Black Christmas as far as the storyline and how that works and even the pacing. Yeah. Yeah. Then in Texas, um, where, well, I don't know. I say that and then I change my mind because I'm like, well, no, we start off with these kids. They, you know, have a weird encounter. Then they go to the town I mean, it's like straight up. I mean, I could be describing Friday the 13th. Right. Then they get to the town and they get somebody who warns them that there's bad things that happen in the town. They stumble upon a house. Like, I mean, for me, I want to put it at four. Like right after Black Christmas. Yeah, because like I obviously I start looking at it and I go, I, I mean, especially when I'm looking at the list right here, I'm like, Friday doesn't exist without this, period. Like, no, no, absolutely not. It just doesn't. And so, you know, it owes so much to it. But I do think per how we have graded everything so far, Black Christmas does more for setting up what will become standard slasher tropes and the blueprint does more incrementally than Texas does. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. And it, I, it's not like leagues and bounds more, you know, it's just like a little tiny bit more. Um, yeah. You can see the influence a bit more where they're like, you see it in Texas, but like black Christmas just gets it more right. Yes. At the same time. Yeah. And it's hard because like, I want to put, I almost want to put it above it. Cause I think Leatherface is so important. Um, but like, and like we don't have a killer almost at all black christmas but just like the final girl stuff and again sally is so good but like what would go on to become what is the 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 final girl is more uh in line with um what's her name with jess in black christmas than it is with sally and then also like we mentioned the kills are more creative like we do we do see that influence in Texas with sort of like the after kill moments, but in Texas, the the focus is really about the trauma mm-hmm. and less about the kills themselves. Black Christmas, it's about the kills. Yep. And that is like, goes on to be really what, I mean, we just were grading um, Dream Home on the, the kills. Yep. Um, and the fact that the focus of that movie, where it lacked in other elements, the focus of that movie was the killings yeah which is why it felt so much like a slasher 
Yeah. Because that's what it is. It really is about the kills. And so it's hard in a movie like Texas where you only have four and the purpose of those kills, it's it's a little bit different. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, I think it's a good place for it. Yeah, I think it, Black Christmas edges it out a little bit, but I'm really comfortable with it being in our top five right now. What a top five, man. Um, that, that top five is... That's something. That's... I mean, that's... So we've got a Nightmare on Elm Street, My Bloody Valentine, Black Christmas, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Friday the 13th Part 2. Yep. Yep. Uh, See, this is why, you guys, when you're like, oh, cover that one, cover that one. We're like, well, I mean, if we do. <laughs> I know. Our top ten will be full real fast. Like, of uh-huh. That's why we stray away from these things for as long as we can. Because even looking at the bottom half, then we get Friday the 13th Part 1, Halloween, the 2018 version. Um, I know what you did last summer, then The Burning, The House on Sorority Row from the 80s, and, you know, Happy Death Day. Because, you know, B and I got to stick to our roots and have some 2000s and, like, 90s movies in our top 10. But yeah, we only have one 90s movie in our top 10. Wow. And, and well, a, yeah, but how many have we covered? A lot. Like a couple. No, there, 90s? There's only that a many. couple. I mean, we covered a lot of aughts. Yeah. A lot of aughts. By the end of it, like... I mean, I already know by the end, I know what you did will be bumped out because of what's going to be above it. Um, but yeah. I also know that because of what's above it, then 90s movies will definitely be in the top 10. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Have no fear, 90s babies. Yeah, yeah. We will reign supreme. Yeah, no, they'll definitely be in there. So I'm not like super worried about that. But Yeah, I did a breakdown and I'll do it again when we hit three years, which is coming up with two more months. Yeah, shit. Um, of just where, like how many movies we've done in with what decade and where are they like ranks. It's interesting for us to see like, okay, well, we've covered this many from the 80s, this many from the 70s. That's why, like, after last year, we were like, okay, we got to do some more stuff from the 70s, which is why we've tried to do some more of the proto stuff, like Tom That Dreaded Sundown, mm-hmm. this. Um, Alice Sweet Alice. Yeah, Alice Sweet Alice, try and get into those 70s because these movies are really important for the genre. Um, and another one of our goals, we're like, wow, we've really got to get some more international titles on here. A lot of these are all American made. I mean, it's an American genre, yeah. um, but that doesn't mean it solely exists here. And I think we've done, I've had a lot of fun covering some of those. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I will say the international ones, there hasn't been one. I didn't regret watching any of the international stuff. Um, I, w- I don't regret any of these except like maybe two of them. <laughs> there's two of them. Yeah, there's like a couple that I'm like, we didn't need to watch that nor talk about it. Yeah. Um, okay. but, I mean, I'm glad I, someone's got to be at the bottom of the list. The more stinkers there are, the more those ones that we actually love get to rise up towards the middle. So I'm okay with that. Right. Yeah. So. Yes. Um, cool. So it will be our new number four. Uh, we'll have to plan something for our three years and uh, we don't have a movie picked out yet because even though we try to stay organized about things we never do um, but I think by the time well we still are technically in summer for another couple of weeks but we'll probably start looking at what we're going to do start shifting fall. to fall stuff we have a couple ideas I know we have a couple things planned for October um, yes so yeah um and getting into spooky season guys i feel it i feel it in my bones yeah you you can take you can take halloween out from the the public world as a you know because of the 
the pandemic, but you can't take it out of our hearts. It's going to exist no matter what. Um, just one of the reasons I, I love the horror genre. Like we refuse to let it go. So um, yeah, and we're. I mean, I know we're going to try to get more guests too. Um, having Molly on was a blast. Um, we want to bring Aaron back, but it's always hard to overseas with him. Um, and you know, uh, Brennan's always a blast to have on, but we want to diversify a little. So more guests that'll be in the lineup too. So lots, lots of fun stuff coming up for holy shit year three. Oh my God. Crazy. Yeah. I can't believe we stuck with it this long. <laughs> I know, go us. Yeah. I'm proud of us. There was a point there where uh, right in the middle of the COVID thing, I was like, are we going to make it? Are we going to, and we, we going to make it? Yeah. And we got back on track and I was like, oh, thank God. So. All right. How dare we take a break during a global pandemic? I, I mean, God, uh, such slackers. For real. I mean, luckily everyone else did too. So we're just yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so Texas new number four, we'll be back in two weeks with something that we'll announce for you all soon. And until then keep screaming.